0: Actually, John, you had your case, your 42-year-old, yeah. that kind of ties into that. Yeah, Maybe you can this, bring him up. sort of bore this out. It's so a 42-year-old guy who had no past medical history, who presented with abdominal pain, was scoped, had a submucosal mass that they couldn't get an accurate diagnosis on. I took him to surgery, and he turned out to have a ten and a half centimeter gist growing upwards from the stomach, actually, into the esophagus, and 100 mitoses per 50 high-powered fields. I offered him a trial. I think it was the high-risk, the phase two trial, which was open at the time, and he declined participation because he's like, well, there's no proof that that's going to work, and that's true, but I think, you know, I really tried to get him on the trial. He declined. So, a year later, he comes back and starts having pain again in the left upper quadrant and gets a CAT scan that shows subdiaphragmatic disease growing into the spleen. And he's the only guy the GIS have actually seen get a PET scan because we've had troubles with reimbursement also. And that showed just disease confined to that area. So, his surgeon took him back and resected what he saw and supposedly got everything out. He had a stormy post-operative course. He got admitted twice with abscesses that needed to be drained. He got better, comes back, we get a CAT scan, and now we see multiple peritoneal metastases, a couple lesions in the liver. And at that point, he was very agreeable to going <laughs> on a <laughs> nib. So his original surgery was in April '04. The recurrence was April, May of '05, and August '05 is you know, when he went on imatinib, and the liver lesions have gone away. There's been significant shrinkage of his other disease. He's completely asymptomatic. I saw him yesterday, and he's functioning very well. So he's now two and a half years on imatinib for metastatic disease, showing, definitely showing benefit. Chuck, we had several
1: patients that had, quote, heroic surgery, stormy post-op courses. Can you comment? Yes. This is why I don't do surgery in these patients. It offered him nothing. It hurt him. And it didn't prevent him from getting a imatinib. So that was the problem here. And now he's back on it, and he's going to be on it. And I'm not sure what was accomplished. No, I'm not trying to be critical. Surgeons always do surgery when they can with just, I've experienced that myself. But a salvage surgery is just not the right thing to do ever, in my opinion, without an imatinib trial. So- <laughs> I want to ask you,
2: Chuck, about a specific situation. Okay. Well, we haven't really talked about people who actually got to sunitinib and okay. actually had a response. You know, a couple people we presented where we considered it, and I'm just kind of curious how that actually plays out clinically. Do you see people that you think are benefiting from sunitinib? Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely. I am a big sunitinib proponent, but I, mean, I see people again who are too afraid to even try it, and I think that's a mistake. But I don't think it's a miracle drug, but it definitely benefits people and people who have failed matinib clearly benefit from the drug and do a lot better than they used to do when they died quickly after they failed matinib. I mean, in your experience, how long do the responses last? That's the problem. I mean, if you look at the phase three trial, it really, the stability does not last all that long, but there's a clear subset of patients who do well. I've had many people on sunitinib for four years. Really? Oh, yeah. And they tend to go on and off it. because something happens, they either bleed or they have some side effect they don't like or something else happens to them. But I've definitely had people on it for a long, long time.